as I said earlier, we've been looking over our weekend about how God speaks through his word. We've seen how the Bible is God's living word, how his spirit takes words written in the past and speaks them again today so that as we read his word, we hear God's voice. And uh, we're going to be be continuing the theme of uh, that weekend in this passage today. It's a passage both about the word and about Timothy. It's about Timothy and how he should uh, be a preacher of the word. And so it's focused, if you like, on on a minister, uh, on someone like David. Um, and uh, just want to think for a second about how, how we should approach it, because you might be thinking, well, it's all very well, this is written to someone like David, but what, you know, what about me? Well, there are two, two kind of angles I'd encourage you with. One is, is that, actually, in many ways, all of us are speakers of God's Word. Uh, you, you maybe would teach children God's Word, or maybe you uh, lead a, a Bible study in a small group, or maybe you try and simply share the Gospel with friends, neighbours, work colleagues. And so it might not be in an upfront sort of way, but in different ways all of us speak God's word and can lay some of these charges to Timothy to ourselves. But secondly, uh, we should be wanting ministers around us and in our churches that do what Paul is telling Timothy to do. And so this is what we should be praying for and longing for and encouraging our ministers to be and to do. So two angles that we can take in looking at this. I've given this the heading, the sufficient word, and we'll come to that in a moment. Let me begin with a story. Um, In 1941, Winston Churchill uh, made an appeal to the American President Franklin Roosevelt, and his appeal was very simple. He said these words, give us the tools and we'll finish the job. Give us the tools and we'll finish the job. See, the Americans weren't in the war at that stage, and Churchill wanted the arms that Britain so desperately needed and couldn't produce herself. Give us the tools we need, he said, and we'll finish the job. Without without them, we're we're impotent, we're powerless, we can't do anything. But put put the right tool in our hands and we'll get on with it. Well, I think we can sometimes feel a little similar to Churchill in the Christian life. You may want to uh, grow as a Christian. You may want to know God more, understand him more. You may want to serve him in seeing others come to know him, seeing others grow to know him and live for him. But how do we do that? You might feel like saying to God, give me the tools and I'll get on with it. I'll grow, I'll serve, I'll teach. But as it is, you feel, well... How do I grow? How, how do I bring others to know you? It would be very easy to feel like we need God to give us something new, some new resource, so that we can get on with the job. 
Well, this passage in 2 Timothy very simply says God has given us the right tool already in his word. It is sufficient for all we need for our growth in our own faith, for our effectiveness in spreading the faith. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me when I, when I say that. I don't mean the Bible is the only tool. It's not the only thing we need in the Christian life. We need each other, for example. We need to be in a community where we, where we encourage each other and spur each other on and so on. We need to pray. I don't mean it's the only thing. But there is a sense in which the Bible is the tool in our hand that equips us to use in our own life and to use in the lives of those around us. To put it differently, my, my first heading is we have all we need in Scripture. So you look at verse 16 of chapter 3, a famous verse. All Scripture is God-breathed. As I am speaking now, my words are carried out to you on my breath. It, it, it comes from, from my lungs and my, my, my breath carries it. And in the same way, all of Scripture is breathed out from God's lungs. It comes from his lips. And so his word has power and life in it. It's words like no others. It's words that do things. There's an example of that in just the previous verse, which David pointed us to, how Timothy has known the Scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation. He's saying that the Old Testament, written hundreds of years beforehand to, to a variety of different people in different settings, are useful to you, Timothy. Because it's God's word breathed out from him, although to other people a long time ago it still does something for you now. It makes you wise for salvation. See, scripture is God's out-breathed words. It's God-breathed. And that means scripture, secondly, is useful. See how verse 16 goes on. All scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, useful isn't actually the right word, really. It's not a great word to use. When you say something's useful, you know, I, I might say to my wife, you know, this screwdriver's useful. You know, and what I mean is, it comes in handy occasionally. That's what useful means, doesn't it? It, it, it it's useful on occasions. That's not what Paul means. You could translate it profitable, valuable, beneficial, perhaps would be a good word. Scripture is God-breathed, and so it's beneficial to you, profitable to you, and it is so in a couple of areas. First of all, there's there's kind of our knowledge. That's what the words the teaching and rebuking are to do with. It teaches us truth and it rebukes our error so that we think rightly and truly about God and ourselves and our world. And then secondly, there's our behavior. It corrects and trains us in righteousness. Righteousness. 
And again, positively training us, negatively correcting us. Because both with our knowledge and with our living, we need to both be told what is right and good that we should think and do, and there's other stuff that we both think and do that is wrong that should be corrected or rebuked. So scripture is useful, profitable, in giving us right thinking and right living. And the result of Scripture being useful in those ways is that we are equipped, thoroughly equipped. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It has the idea of being kind of qualified and ready. Got the right tool in your hand, you can get on with the job. We've just moved into a, a, a new house uh, in Cambridge, and as is often the case, there are lots of little jobs to do around the house. The, the putting up of the shelf or the uh, you know, screwing in the wall of a light bulb, or whatever it is. And, and I, um, I have this perpetual tendency doing DIY. I kind of think, okay, I need, what do I need? I need my screwdriver. Um, I need a pair of pliers. I need the, and I take them, and I go up to the upstairs. And I, while I'm doing it, I think, oh, I need the hammer. So I go back downstairs, out to the shed, get the hammer, come back up the ladder. And then I'm pressing on, I think, oh, you know what, these pliers are too big. I need the narrow pliers. The downstairs, out to the shed, get the narrow pliers up to the top. Keep on going a little while, and I think, you know what, actually, I need, I, I need the screwdriver. With, you know, this one's too thick, it won't fit in the hole. I need the thin one. So I, you know, and eventually, I get my toolbox, which I should have done in the first place, and carry it all upstairs and open it up, and I think, right, okay, now I'm ready. Now, now I'm ready for whatever this job involves. Now I am thoroughly equipped. Whatever comes up, I can reach for the right tool. And here, the man of God is thoroughly equipped by the word. Paul is thinking specifically of Timothy. That's why he says the man of God. That's who he means. And he wants to say, Timothy, you are fully equipped for your work of pastoring. But while it's directed at him, it's true for all of us. If we have scripture, we've got the whole toolbox in our hand. We are kitted out. We are ready for every good work. For all of life as a Christian, we're equipped for it. Now, we have to recognize this is challenged today, very challenged. A liberal bishop in the, in the United States said a little while ago that while the Bible is like an old road map, but we are in new territory with the challenges and demands of our modern world, and so we need a new map. We can't expect the Bible to give us all the answers. Life's just changed too much. It's not true. God doesn't need to turn up and add an appendix to some current topic of the day. This is a sufficient word. It's not always easy to know how it will apply to decisions in modern-day medical ethics or whatever it might be, but it is a sufficient word. 
What is the application then to Timothy? Because all he said so far is just descriptive. It's God-breathed, so it's useful, so you're thoroughly equipped. What's the application? Well, this is where our chapter headings aren't particularly helpful because it runs straight on into chapter 4. What is he to do? Well, it comes in verse 2. Preach the word, he says. Preach the word. Proclaim and teach the Bible. Why? Because it is God-breathed. And so it is useful and equips you for everything. So use it. You want the right tool in your hand? You've got it. Now get on with using the tool. That's what he's saying. Now, we do have a bit of a problem with the word preach, when he says, verse 2, preach the word. Because you say the word preach, and those familiar with church will immediately picture something a little bit like what I'm doing now. They'll think of a 30-minute or so monologue. That's what they'll think preaching is. Uh, Say the word preach to someone not familiar with church services and say, what's preaching? And they'll think of someone haranguing you and enforcing their ideas on you. They'll say of somebody, he was preaching at me. But the word that is used simply means announcing a message, bringing news, telling others, taking what God has said and announcing it to other people. That's all he means, which you can do from a pulpit, if I had one. You can do it over a beer. You can do it in large gatherings and small groups. And, of course, you can do it while still respecting and loving the person you're speaking to. And you do it in your small Bible study groups and you do it in your Sunday school And actually, you're doing it when you sit down with your friend at work and try and tell them something about Jesus. You're trying to pass on the good news. What does Paul say about how Timothy is to do this preaching? There's lots of other stuff he says around it. First of all, Timothy should do it knowing the significance of what he's doing. Back up to verse 1 of chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. You get the feeling this is a pretty significant thing in Paul's mind, don't you? This is what Timothy should occupy his life with and give himself to. He is to do so knowing This is the significant thing that God has called him to, the God who one day he will stand before when Jesus appears and the kingdom comes. And Paul is basically saying, Timothy, that that, that judgment day where you stand before God, that will revolve around how well you have done this, how well you have preached the word. Do it knowing the immense significance of what it is you are doing. Now, that is because of his particular ministry responsibility. That is why Paul can say these words to him so fully. 
This, I suggest, will be true of someone in a position like David, or perhaps like myself. It'll be true of any, any of you here, some of the students here, thinking potentially of full-time Christian ministry. But, we said, all of us have some degree of responsibility in teaching the word. Parents. There's lots to parenting, and God will want you to be good and loving and kind, clear parents, and part of that will be teaching your children. And you should know the significance. God will want to know, how how have you taught your children the word? Those of you who are involved in youth ministry, how well have you taught those children in your care the word? God is bothered about this. You see that? You see the significance of it? He should do it knowing the significance. He should do it all the time. See, preach the word, he says. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage. He should do it in season and out of season. That is, when it is easy going... And when it is hard. I, um, I play five-a-side football on a, a midweek evening. And um, about this time of year, where it's starting to get a little chilly, I don't know what the weather's going to be like in Cambridge when I get back, but on Tuesday night, I imagine some of the team might look out the window and think, oh, not sure I fancy it tonight. But, you know sleet coming down or something. So, you know, you kind of think there are, there are those who are, who are kind of just fair-weather footballers, you know. Come and enjoy it when it's nice, but they're not, they're, not, they're not hardcore. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't be a fair-weather preacher. There will be times in your life, Timothy, when you won't fancy teaching the word the temperature will be a bit chilly. The climate won't be good. The people may not want to listen. You might be speaking it to a person who needs to hear a hard truth and you will worry about the reception you will get. Students, some of you in a hall of residence or even a whole university sometimes, you get a mood against the Christian Union. And you can think to yourself, this isn't a good time to go around proclaiming the word. Let's just keep our heads down. The same can be true sometimes of a a workplace, a school environment. It can happen in churches, some denominations or individual churches where people decide they are not for the teaching of the word. And a minister has to decide, do I do I preach in season and out of season? The time will come for each of us in different ways, in different settings, when we'll look outside and we'll think, I don't quite fancy it. And Paul says, do it all the time. Lastly, how is he to go about it? Patiently and carefully Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage. Just notice there. 
didn't put something in on this, but just notice the correcting, rebuking, encouraging, flowing from Scripture being useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting. And it'll involve different things in different settings. Sometimes you'll need to encourage somebody with the word. Sometimes you'll need to correct them or rebuke them. But you are to do those things with great patience and careful instruction. See the adjective. Great patience. Paul, Paul knows he has to put them in. People don't always listen the first time. Whether it's in evangelism or in discipleship, we need to be patient with people. Give them time. You know, there's, there's to be no chance here for sort of like pastoral hit-and-run tactics. You know, they, 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 they need to know, they need to stop going out with that person, or they need to stop doing exit. I'm going to go around, I'm going to tell them, and get out of there. And they'll go home and go, well, I told them. I preached the word to them. Yeah, but you didn't do it with great patience. There's to be no hit and run evangelism. Oh, I told my friend the gospel. It's up to him now. Now, that's just us unburdening ourselves, thinking I've done my bit. No great patience. And careful instruction. This, you know, correcting somebody, rebuking somebody, encouraging somebody, it means careful explanation. You don't just say, believe X or do Y. You say, but I'll believe X because. Do Y because God says this and that and don't you see and because of. You carefully instruct and explain the level people can understand. There's to be no just, well, I said it, so they should understand it. Great patience. Careful instruction. That's why the, uh, the pastor elsewhere is told to be, he needs to be kind and able to teach and be able to gently instruct people. You see, what we say is crucial, and so is how we say it. We speak about a gospel of grace. Well, we better be gracious in the way we speak it. We speak of a God who is patient and loving towards us. We better be patient and loving in the way we say it. Teaching the Bible to people, whether it's our children and our youth group, our small group, our church, if you're a pastor, uh, in hall of residence, giving an evangelistic talk, teaching the Bible to people is about handling the Bible well. It's also about handling people well. Why do you have to do all this? Why preach the word? Why have to do it in season and out of season, remembering the significance and uh, doing it carefully and patiently? It's very simple. It's because people will turn away from the word. See verse 3. Do all this, verse 3, 4, because... 
the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather round them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. The idea of sound doctrine runs all the way through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus as well. The idea of sound doctrine is that of right teaching, correct teaching of the word. It has, the, it has a sense of um, kind of healthiness to it, like food that's nourishing. We've been, we've been well fed this, this weekend. Large quantities of food have been put on people's plates. You can tell the students who are there, they're laughing because they're like, oh, wow. But it's also been nourishing food, good food. That's what sound doctrine is like. As opposed to false teaching, which is like food laced with poison that will harm you. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you've got to keep teaching You've got to keep preaching the word, correcting and rebuking. You've got to keep doing it patiently and carefully because people will constantly be pulled away from sound doctrine. People will not want to put up with it anymore. Verse 4 is a startling picture. They'll turn their ears away from the truth. It's like you can, the ears on the side of your head, you you can turn them to think, what do I want to listen to? I don't want to listen to this anymore. I'm going to turn my ear away from it and listen to something else. That's the picture. And in doing so, I turn aside from the truth to myths, to rubbish. Verse 3, we're told, it is to suit their own desires. They'll get people to tell them what they want to hear. What suits them, what they'd like. So you've got to te- te- teach them, Timothy. Now let's first realize and admit that we are as susceptible to this as anyone else. Students here. I know many people who were active in their university Christian union. They were on committees. They were leading hall groups. And some years later are nowhere with Jesus. Often still saying they're a Christian, but having read books or listened to talks and gone to churches where I, I think I can say they started to hear what they wanted to hear. It may have been about something to do with sexuality, homosexuality, non-Christian relationships. It might have been about the uniqueness of Jesus. It might have been about the Bible's teaching about hell. But there was something within sound doctrine. They sort of said, I don't like that anymore. And I'm going to turn my ears and listen to something else. And that's true of, of, of students who can be keen. It can be true of those in midlife who can still continue coming to a respectable church but actually I'm listening to another message my heart isn't really here anymore and maybe over time 
I start to stop coming. And if you don't think that you would be tempted in this way to turn your ears away from sound doctrine, well, I can only suggest you don't know your own heart very well. We can do this. Which means all of us need other people around us and ministers teaching us who will preach the word to us. And we should come wanting to say, I want to be corrected, rebuked, taught, challenged, encouraged, because my heart will lead me astray. So I need to hear the word. I want the minister to have God's tool in his hand, and I want him to use that tool in my life. So come on, get to work. I want my friend to have the, God's tool in their hands and speak truth to me, in love, but speak truth. I want people using the Bible on me, because this is what I can do. And then... We need to be those who take God's tool in our hands and use it on others. Be ready to continue to speak the word clearly when people don't want to hear. It may involve hardship and suffering. Verse 5, Paul says, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship. Because it'll come. If you're going to do this, Paul says of himself in verse 6, he's being poured out like a drink offering. But it only reminds us of the significance in verse 1. See, Paul says in verse 6, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near, but I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Which takes us back to verse 1. This is all done in the presence of God and Christ who will judge the living and the dead. Paul saying, Timothy, keep going like that no matter what it involves because you know one day you'll stand before God and you'll answer for how well you've taught the word. So will we be those who long that God's sufficient word is used by others in our own life? Longing, knowing that this is his tool, equipping people for every good work and saying, do that good work to me. And will we be those who take that tool, knowing this is God's sufficient word that equips us and in whatever context, in our families, in our workplaces, in our church, in our relationships, speak that word and use that tool in the lives of others. Let's pray together, shall we? Just a moment to quietly reflect on what God's word is to us today what he wants us to take away. Just a moment's quiet. Father God, we thank you. You are the God that speaks to us, wanting us to hear your voice and know you. Thank you that your word then is sufficient for us 
to hear that voice and to know all truth about you. You want us to know and all uh, details of how we should live for you. It equips us. And we pray that in your goodness you'd help us be those who want to sit under that word and hear your voice. And we pray you'd help us be those who will speak that word to others. Bless us in this, we pray, by your Spirit. In Jesus' name.